Welcome to Faith Kit, a weekly conversation with Rev. Dr. Glenn Miles and noted guests, dialoguing their life of faith in today's culture. Let's join Dr. Miles and today's guest. Hi, this is Glenn Miles at First Community Church, where I am the senior pastor and the colleague of Rev. David Hatt, who is our Minister to Spiritual Life and Learning Center. Can I say it that way now? Is that, is that approved yeah, and official? That's, that's, and- that's I think we're there. In my head. <laughs> you thought it, therefore it's true. Is <laughs> yeah, that how that exactly. works? I, I, I read that somewhere else that's how today. I do theology. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Well, what we've been doing in these is podcasts has been has been talking about um, uh, stewardship and uh, why that's a spiritual uh, um, a practice, and we'll get into that in a moment, David. But um, first, uh, I know you've been around here uh, forever. Had a couple of stints here at First Community on on our staff in right. a variety of roles. Um, but a lot of people may not know you uh, very well. So why don't you take a moment, tell us about your family, your background, and sure. and then how you ended up at First Community. Sure. Oh, this, Please. This could be the whole time. <laughs> yeah. We'll take a little log cabin in Illinois. Yes, that's what I heard. <laughs> I was from Illinois. I am from Illinois. I uh, grew up in Aurora, Illinois, uh, which is outside of Chicago. Um, and uh, really had a pretty typical kind of 60s uh, childhood and into sports and uh, girls and the whole shebang, not school as much, although I seem to do all right with that. Um, and uh, my mother was a homemaker, but also a church secretary. Hmm. My father was a railroad engineer, mm-hmm. which people usually, their eyes light up much more with that than with me being a minister. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> he drove the train. <laughs> as, is, as they should, yes. As they should, too. <laughs> and I always tell me, I, I went into Chicago on the commuter train, got to pull the whistle. Oh, really? Everybody's fascinated by that. Yeah, that is that cool. That could have been my highest point of achievement. <laughs> as a but uh, uh, so real urban, blue-collar area mm-hmm. and uh, integrated schools. And so that was great. And uh, – um, actually, my sport was wrestling, which some people find interesting. That you know, I didn't go pro. I was uh, I was always scared of the wrestlers. Uh, <laughs> basketball season and wrestling season, at least on the West Coast, were at the same time. Yeah. And so the wrestlers, when they were done, they'd cut through the gym, and there's a couple of them who just come over and run over and grab bas- a random basketball player and pin us on the on the court. I'm like, stop doing that. And it would be some little guy that was wrestling at 120 that would just take me down in a heartbeat. So yeah, I, was, I, was, oh, I should be more afraid of you now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, actually, we had wrestling same time, basketball and wrestling, same gym. Right. The oh, same gym. On the court. Oh. We were on a loft. Oh wow! A balcony. Yeah. And so we were looking over and watching them do sprints back and forth. And I thought, oh, my God, that's horrible. <laughs> I could never do that. Trust me. We thought the same thing about wrestlers, wrestling <laughs> around on the mat and getting all sweaty like that was just like, oh, I could not do that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I went to uh, University of Illinois, got a degree in communications um, and went into journalism at some point for a few years. Um, and I'll get into maybe, you know, how I got into the ministry, too, later. But the. <clears throat> Um, went to when I decided to go to seminary. I went to uh, Garrett Evangelical mm. at Northwestern University, mm-hmm. so the Methodist seminary. Right. My my mother was actually my father was an Evangelical United Brethren, which is right. the United part of United Methodism now. For right. those who don't know, and my mother was actually in a congregational church. So when I came to First Community with its United Church of Christ background, I realized, wait, I have that in my DNA as well. There you so, go. So kind of like neat for that. Um, 
was married and had three wonderful children with my first wife and uh, now have eight grandchildren. They all live in the Chicago area in Aurora where I grew up, so I'm often traveling out there. Now that I'm half-time, it makes it even better to be able to get out there more often. For so, sure. Yeah. Um, how much more? <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Um, tell us, uh, Say a little bit about how you got to First Community. Yeah. And actually, I can just throw in maybe um, how I got in the ministry because it all fits. Sure, yeah, please do. Way. Like when I was when I was in college, um, I was studying Eastern religion mostly, and then in, when I went into journalism, I was still engaged in that study. Um, but I really found out that I didn't know if all of that tradition was in my tradition. Mm. I had grown up in the church, mm-hmm. um, and. And this a book I read by the philosopher Alan Watts actually said, well, you know, all this stuff is really great from Eastern traditions, but, you know, it probably is in your tradition. So you ought to go find out. So that's actually why I went to seminary. Oh, really? Yeah. And I also thought back then you could be a journalism writer. I mean a religion writer, a reporter for religion. Sure. And I thought, hey – and and the Roy Larson was on the Chicago Sun Times, and he would give these wonderful, uh, really columns that were really what he was thinking. And I thought, whoa, that's what I want to do, <laughs> and get paid for it. Yeah, and get paid for it. What a nice thing. Yeah. So of course that kind of ended. But when I was in seminary, my theology I finally discovered was really relational. That we discover mm. the divine in our relationships with, with the divine, with nature with other people and with our own self to become Mm. intimate with any of those is the way we discover and experience God. Uh, And I realized, you know, I've kind of been hiding behind a pen for my whole life. Mm. And relationships, the idea of that was more frightening. So uh, that actually moved me toward seeking ordination and diving into the church. That created a whole lot of fear and anxiety and difficult times in the beginning of my ministry. And I had no spiritual life. Actually, uh, I think people now who go to seminary actually get a spiritual life too, mm-hmm. which I, mm-hmm. we didn't back then. It was all intellectual, and particularly right. Garrett at Northwestern, right. all concerned with great things like justice and urban ministry at that time, uh, but no spirituality really. And uh, I was in this little church, little country church that I was never a country boy <laughs> and was having all kinds of problems. And uh, you, was, you were the pastor, student pastor? Yeah. yeah. No, no, I was actually the pastor. You were the pastor. I did, I did do student pastoring in a couple of small churches. But now you're out of seminary. Which were actually really in the suburban area, so it was like, I, like I know yeah. this. Right. But out in the country, I was lost. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, well, here's what I found out about the United Methodist system is that when you're beginning and you go in and they, the cabinet and the bishop ask you, so what, what are you really looking for? And I, I, would, I said, well, I mean, they're looking to be in an urban church as perhaps even the solo minister or uh, an associate in a suburban or urban setting. They send you where you did not choose to go. <laughs> really? Yes. Really? And uh, I discovered that that was how they chose me to go there. The huh. problems I was having, which were largely mine, although you know, I could pass some on to some other people too, but um, I realized I had no spiritual depth, no support for what I was going through. Mm. I was reading the Christian Century magazine, you know, the weekly, right. at that time, mainline denominational uh, religious paper, and uh, there was an ad for um, meditation tapes. Back, They were audio cassette tapes back then, <laughs> guided meditations. They, this 
this group is also advertising that they did biofeedback and dream analysis and things like that. So I sent for the tapes, and they really began to give me – they were guided meditations, really opened me up to that whole possibility of a spiritual life and also spiritual practice because it was a mm. practice. Mm. Well, I was in uh, outside of Chicago in a country area, <clears throat> and I read the ad, and it said uh, – uh, it was the new wineskin center from First Community Church in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, wow, there's the connection. Yeah, yeah, and that's the only, cool. The only my only relationship with Columbus is because I was an Illini. Mm. Was hatred <laughs> because I knew that's where the Ohio State all University All right, that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> we, we, my full four years at Illinois, we won two games. Yeah, sure. And we got close to beating Ohio State one year. Really? So it was a, yeah. the big thrill. Um, so that was my first impression in a certain sense of Columbus. But that I thought, first community, that's a place I need to be. <laughs> for sure, and, uh, yeah. Well, then there's a little longer story that um, the, my youth minister when I was in junior high happened to be this kid from the Evangelical Theological Seminary in Naperville right next door, which was the former EUB seminary. They merged with Garrett. Happened to be this guy named Barry Johnson. Mm. And he was this cool guy, and, you know, we playing baseball, and he was on our baseball team, and we were the champions, and uh, he played shortstop. I was out in center field, and uh, and the thing we loved about him is that he would actually swear at the umpires when they made a call we didn't like. And I thought, wait, I could be a minister <laughs> if you can do that. That's too funny. Uh, yeah, That's so funny. actually when Barry came out here, um, he, and I was looking to move beyond the Methodist system, not the Methodist Church itself. He said, why don't you come out here? And so I did for a couple of years. Then I went in, actually went into higher education later and uh, taught in actually at Wilmington College, a little Quaker college south of here, and taught religion and philosophy there. I then directed programs in the women's prison here in Columbus and also taught in the, in the prison systems, both men and women, uh, which was a wonderful experience. Then I there's a whole lot of story here, but I ended up wanting to move back into the ministry and uh, happened to be in – I was looking for all kinds of places, <clears throat> happened to run into Jim Long at this Grandview Library. And Jim had been an attorney when I came here the first time, and then he was transitioning into ministry, and now he was the minister here. And I said – he had, said, how you doing? I said, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> so I said, I have a trunk load of resumes. <laughs> so I so handed him one said, do you know anything like in the United Church of Christ or something? You know, I was thinking I would do something like that. He took it back to Dick Wing, and they had been doing a two-year national search for an adult education person. And uh, I lived six blocks away at that time. I was commuting down to Wilmington. And uh, Dick and I got together, and and like that, I was the minister of— So, so what year was that, about 96? 98. 1998. This is my 24th yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Totally cool. Long story, sorry. Wow, that's all right. That's a great story. I, I love hearing all those connections, and Barry Johnson and, and, and baseball and, and, and all the rest. Um, uh, totally cool. All right, so we, we got your call to ministry, and we've we heard some great stories. Frankly, this is really cool. Um, uh, let's go. Let's get into our topic for the this yeah. uh, this series of podcasts. It's on on stewardship, and, and one of the things I've been emphasizing in my sermons um, this season is not so much the business aspect of of why we give as, as important as it is, and we do have great, strong lay leaders with good business backgrounds who oversee our, all, all the funds and carefully spend it and all, all, all those kinds of things. But I really want us to uh, congregationally think about the, um, 
act of giving as a, as a spiritual practice, along with uh, reading scripture, a meditation, prayer, worship, uh, serving in the community or wherever it might be. Um, I, I think I, I, and this is kind of the first time I've really emphasized this heavily. Um, it's always been sort of in the background or don't forget. And this year we're taking a, uh, we're putting in the front seat of the cars that were. So say a little bit about um, in your experience, how that's been a part of your spiritual practice. Yeah. Actually, the word that come up, came up as you were talking is the word generosity, which mm. I wasn't even thinking about. But but there's a generosity of spirit mm -hmm. uh, as well as a mm -hmm. generosity of giving in that particular way right. that arises from the spiritual practices that we engage in. And, and <clears throat> what I came to at some point in my life is that we receive nourishment from many sources – and we often give to those places that nourish us. Mm. But we can easily forget that the most important nourishment is for our souls. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the act of giving financially, but as well as every other way, is to give to those organizations that nourish us spiritually. Mm -hmm. um, and so – and that may – not always be the church, but it may well serve as one of the bases for our spiritual right. nourishment and growth. Um, and so that's a practice we that we need to bring in order to respond to the divine nourishment that we receive just by being alive, the blessings that come all the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the main pieces that strikes me about the reason to give to the church and to the organizations that support our souls and our and our lives, for that matter. Um, and that practice actually helps us open up to give of ourselves to the rest of the world. Hmm. And so all of the practices actually combined open us, I think, to the other practices. So whatever we happen to be practicing, whether it is journaling or prayer or meditation or mm -hmm. service, those acts actually open us up to giving more of what blessings we've re received. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's, uh, <laughs> I was thinking earlier when I was thinking about that a little bit, it's kind of a warning. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, so right. don't practice because you'll, <laughs> you'll be if giving If you start more. praying, you might be giving more away to the church. <laughs> exactly. And to everything else too, which is, right. the, which is the beauty though, because the more that we do engage in those practices, the more we're getting closer to uh, to God, mm -hmm. for one thing, but also then more really being able to live out our lives as truer, fuller expressions of the divine that we are created to be, and so it's it's well, it's blessing and curse as many of the as many of the spiritual teachings always are. But the blessing is that we become who we are meant to be right. as children of the divine, right. and we also then give from our heart to the needs of the world. I was thinking about this. I wrote this one down. The, one of the first uh, descriptions of justice that really struck me was by Matthew Fox long ago. This was before he was even known. <laughs> See, the, 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 the Cosmic Christ, right? Isn't that his, uh, that yeah, one of his books? Yeah, Cosmic Christ, yeah. Uh, Original Blessing. Original Blessing, that one too, yes. Kind of challenges the original sin idea. Right. Legitimately challenges. Absolutely. Yeah, that we were blessed first for, before anything else. And uh, the the... The term that I think about is that justice is the practice of sharing the blessings of God's good earth from your own abundance. Mm. Mm. I think his original was this, the structured struggle to share the blessings of God's good earth. Mm. Very and, good. Um, and that's, 
in a way, that's what we're called to do. There are many teachers, like Michael Mead was one of my favorite. He's a mythologist and storyteller. Uh, talks about that we come into the world with specific gifts that each of us has, and that we're actually called to to present those. The word for it is actually our genius. It's not the intellectual. Oh, it might be <laughs> intellectual thing, right. but it's really that which we're given as our specific gift. And there are other gifts that we have that we're actually invited to give to the world. And if we if we don't really do that, we're we're not only shutting ourselves off, but we're shutting off the goodness that we could be giving to all. Well, it, what you just said reminds me of. Um C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, uh, and you know it's 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 a, f- a fantasy of Jesus uh, driving a bus down into hell to pick people up who uh, th- to take them to heaven, and and when they uh, when that when they get to heaven, um, they experience heaven. Some some of them experiences too much and too weight too weighty and too heavy, uh, and you know. But so a lot of them just choose to go back to hell, and as a result of that, they shrink. What they thought was this gigantic cavern that they were flying up through uh, turns out to just be this tiny little crack in the soil of heaven. Uh, So there's a sense of what you're saying. I think that um, as we expand our generosity in a variety of ways, we we grow into our full selves. When we shut that down, we're almost shrinking ourselves, uh, reducing who we are. Yes, uh, that's that's really good. I, you need to send me those quotes that you just that you just use. I, I I, that might appear in a sermon or two in the next yeah. uh, no, couple of weeks. You know, Julie and I have the same approach. Um, our number one gift is to First Community Church, of course. Our number two gift is to court-appointed special advocates, uh, with whom Julie worked and served for uh, well over twenty years. And yeah. so it's that same kind of thing. It's it's us putting uh, from our abundance uh, gifts into the world to to. Um, uh, be a voice of children in court. Yeah, I mean, it's really and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a beautiful thing to see that when it happens. And I've had an inside view for a long time now, being married to Julie, and I, I think that's the same sort of thing when you're engaged in in um, uh, what, what's the what's the famous line from Frederick Beekner where where your deep joy meets the world's need. Greatest yeah. need, yeah. Greatest need, yeah, for sure, yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. And now you actually remind me of the, uh, now that my children are all in their, unbelievably in their 40s now, all three of them. <laughs> this, this is not possible. <laughs> yeah, I know. They don't need anything anymore. Um, right. I mean, they need things, but not material things right. necessarily. Right. They're all doing well, which is awesome for me. Um, so that now I've begun to think larger about uh, what to give them. Mm. And so like on Mother's Day, I gave uh, my two daughters and my daughter-in-law uh, a gift to uh, the Children's Defense Fund oh, in their name yeah. and honor. Right. It seemed appropriate for Mother's Day. I'm right. thinking for the Father's Day next year, particularly because it's a big concern of mine, and I contribute here is to give each of the my two st- – son-in-laws and my son uh, a gift to Planned Parenthood mm. in their name. Right. Right. That's totally cool. Yeah. So, you know, it opens – this is what it seems to me. It opens up um, our ability to share from resources that we didn't even think we had. Right. And that made me um, think of one thing that always kept me from giving more than I thought I could <laughs> – was, and this was another spiritual searcher who came, Lynn Twist, who oh, yeah. was the head of the Pachamama Alliance. She and her husband founded that. She f- helped fundraise with Mother Teresa. She's just a brilliant person. But her book, The Soul of Money, she talks about the myth of scarcity as oh. being one of the 
I, I just quoted from her in a sermon recently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love her stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that that actually was how I felt. Is that mm-hmm. when you know you're young, you're struggling to make the ends meet, and and it's so easy to have this sense of scarcity that I I really can't give to anything else because I'm just getting by here. And then and then when I read that, it kind of like shifted my attitude, and this this began to change my way of looking at giving as well is because I began to think, wait a minute, <laughs> um, there's something different here. There, and, and, and Walter Brigham is good on talking about enough. You know, mm. We have enough. And yes. Then, and then we can give from the abundance that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started when I started paying bills, and back then we wrote checks. I think people may remember what those are like. They came like in a little book. Yeah, a little book. Yeah, I remember, yeah, exactly. yes. You tear them out. And, <laughs> and as long as you did, an envelope. And as long as you didn't run out of checks, you still had money. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was my theory. Mine too. And uh, I started writing the checks and I would basically silently or out loud pray for the company or the mm. corporation or the credit card mm-hmm, group mm-hmm. that I was uh, sending the check to saying, you know, thank you for supporting me to be able to do the work I love and to support my own spiritual growth because I've spent money in spiritual practices in the Enneagram and the Diamond Approach work I've done over the years. Um, So it was really a way of thanking, of being grateful uh, for the support that they've given. And uh, and something kept changing then. It began to feel good about things like, like paying the bills and making a budget and then giving where I could give, some, sometimes very small, but at least to be able to, to give from uh, that what I thought was lack mm. now turning into abundance. Right. right. That's really good. You, you kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, the next thing I, I think our listeners would love to hear is a time you were inspired to maybe give a little more. You, you've been going that direction, so keep going there. There's been a yeah. time where you um, stretched or, or uh, somebody asked you to give to something and you didn't think you could afford it, but you did it anyway. It was a time like that in your life? Yeah. You know, I don't know if I have a specific examples of that, um, although I was thinking of a few few things. But even like giving now to the, to the children, uh, giving to organizations right. that they support too. <laughs> Here's a funny story. <laughs> One year I told the kids, you know, well, I tell them this every year, but they get me things. <laughs> you don't need to give me any Christmas gifts. But I said, but if you want to support an organization, uh, you know, I give them a few lists that I like, like Planned Parenthood, you know, you could, you could give that to me. I opened up a gift from my middle daughter, who's the serious one, actually. <laughs> and, uh, and it said, uh, congratulations, a donation has been made in your name to the National Rifle Association, <laughs> which was not on my list, by the way. <laughs> I'm looking at it, I thought, what? <laughs> They're laughing. <laughs> so don't do that to your children. No, don't or do your, that. Or your grandfather. Don't, or your don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, but it really, um, I think when these uh, asks come up now, Actually, now I have to kind of stop myself because now they're all the Facebook asks mm, mm-hmm. of friends and family. Right, and right. and I try to give to those because I know that's what is moving those people to, sure. to respond. But I have to kind of limit what I can give to make sure that I have enough. Because that's one of the things. I read this article one time about a woman in Columbus, actually, who had – who was such a giver that she gave everything away, everything. Mm. Mm. And now she was needing support from her community to be able to survive. God doesn't call us to do that. Right. 
Right. God doesn't even call us to be poor, <laughs> um, but God calls us to give what we can. And uh, so I do try to do that now more specifically. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that. It, it's it's a, it's it's just amazing. I I, I shared a story with with um, one of our other pastors. I, I it might have been Mary Kate. I think it was Mary Kate. But a, a couple of different stories that, that that come to mind. You know, when when um, I, the story I shared with Mary Kate was about a capital campaign gift that that we really stretched. And and our experience three years later, Julie said, you know, we never missed the money. You know, yes. we really did it. We started that was those were the first checks. We wrote our tithe check and we wrote our and we had to do 36 payments on our on our capital campaign pledge. It wasn't like yeah. we dipped into savings or something or into our investments. I mean, we had no money. Um, uh, but three years later, like, wow, we gave that much money and we didn't we didn't miss it. Yeah. Um, I remember it might have been my, my first year out of college hearing a stewardship sermon where where the pastor said, look, no matter no matter what size you gave. Consider increasing it by 10%. And, and, you know, back then, way back then, right out of college, we didn't have a lot of money. I was working as a youth director in a little church. Yeah. We were given $10 a month. So the next year, we increased our pledge by 10%, which sounds like a huge percent. But, you know, it was it was all the way up to 11. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, it's the same kind of experience. Just that little extra gift, that little extra bit. It just the, the, the sense of accomplishment of feeling, hey, I'm, I'm really moving on this path toward generosity. It's, a, it's kind of a cool thing. That's exactly what I was thinking about when I was thinking about stewardship. Is, is that when you actually do it to the point that you can, you don't even notice it. Right. It's like – it's there. I mean, actually, automatic giving kind of helps in a certain way because, you know, it just comes out. You don't even think about I it. I think Mary Kate talked about that in a, in a previous podcast. She said that's that's the first thing she did when she got hired here was she made up, made sure that her uh, automatic donation came straight out of her paycheck yeah. uh, to the to the church, which is a cool thing. You know, it's do. interesting. You made me think of this in studies of, of brain and 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 our kind of behavioral practices. There's this study that shows, like, if you hand over a credit card to some a place that you're buying from and they give you that credit card back, it's like you never spent anything. Mm. But if you hand dollars and you don't get the dollars back or mm. get change, mm -hmm. you actually, it actually – the brain registers – that you have actually given something away. Interesting. It's a really fascinating that study. That is. That is. And another thing I was thinking of, just as I, just today um, is, in my sense, the first day of fall, moving from 90 degrees to 60 or whatever it is. Right. I right. was in church in classes all morning, walked out of that north church, and uh, – and this awesome, beautiful, amazing day just hit me like this wonderful cloud of joy. Right. Um, just opened up my heart. The studies also show on, on altruistic behavior is that being in nature helps us to recognize our smallness in a certain way, but the largeness of the mm. universe and the vastness and the beauty, and that actually opens our heart to more gratitude. And so, the, I mean, they actually suggest, so when you're asking for money, be sure to have plenty of plants around. <laughs> so I think you should recommend people as they're thinking about their pledge is to walk outside and go to high banks, yes, the metro yes. parks, go for and a, think about it. Go out to Glacier Ridge and yeah. take a nice walk there among the leaves right. and things, yes. And sign your pledge card at the very end of that walk. I'm going to contact the Worship and Arts uh, team that 
that oversees the decor for our sanctuaries and more plants. <laughs> they really say that. <laughs> I, I believe it. All right, do, uh, let's do this. Take your pastor's hat off for a moment and think about yourself as a regular person. That's, that's not easy for us ministers to do, but uh, try, try to think that way. Um, why, do you, why do you give to First Community? What is it about this place that, that yeah. causes you to want to give here? Yeah, that, that actually is an easy one because there is no other place like First Community in the Midwest and, and in some ways around the nation and the, and the world. I mean, to give this progressive voice to Christianity and particularly American Christianity at a time when it is even more sorely needed than when mm-hmm. we first came mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. Um, I, I would promote that mission all the time completely fully because we need that voice in the in the wilderness as it is yeah, right now. Yeah, for sure. And also the for me and like the way that I came to First Community that that new wineskin center back in mm-hmm. the 70s. Um, and and First Community was the first place that had a, a psychological counseling center in the United States right. in a church and really right. opened up that whole arena. I mean, this was some of the genius of Roy Burkhardt and others who, who worked with all of that and, and non-ministers, too, within this congregation, as a matter of fact. Um, that <clears throat> kind of psychological, spiritual depth from the beginning when it was called the Church of the Infinite Quest, that's in the DNA of this place. And and really, it's why I'm here, it feels like. I mean, that's yeah. that's what drew me here. Uh-huh. That's the work that I love doing. And uh, and so that those two things combined are unique factors in, in American Christianity and maybe the world over. I was thinking, like, you know, the Diamond Approach work that I do is with people from all traditions, the Buddhists, they're... <laughs> Hindus, there's Jews, there's a lot of lapsed Christians, atheists, and uh, and when I would go to these re- international retreats and people from all around the country, all world actually, and I would tell them that I was a minister. First of all, they would, what? <laughs> Secondly, I would tell them what this church does and who we bring in and things like that. And they say, wait, wait, a church does that? Yeah, this is a cool. Thing. Th- that always filled me that uh, recognizing that people recognize there's something different in the world, and that's what first community is uh, in the world of Christianity and the faith generally and the openness to all. Who, who, was there a pastor in charge of the wineskins? Yeah, ministry? that was Bob Keck. There, there you go. I was thinking it would be Bob Keck. You know, Jim Keck, his son, is one of my best friends. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really fun to make all these connections and to realize, um, you, you know, how, how, uh, how small the world is, how tiny, yeah. how tiny, well, how Oh, um, what's the right word? Uh, well, we're, we're, we're the church of the infinite quest, the, um, uh, the, both the, in, the, the vastness of infinity and yet the connections that we find. Yeah, so no, that's so, a deep so spiritual near. teaching actually, that it is actually all here. Um, and we see what we see with our perceptual mm. capacities. Mm. Um, but it's all right here. So my day has just been made. David said, I said something that's part of, of uh, a serious bit of teaching. Uh, I'm going to quit now and uh, <laughs> go, go sit on a rock somewhere. All right. So, and David, what you've been saying is just great. I love all this. I'm going to go back and listen to this and uh, take a lot of notes for my next sermon. Um, speaking of sermon, then uh, put your pastor's hat back on. If you were <laughs> preaching a stewardship sermon, uh, what direction would you go? Yeah, I think actually I've said a lot of things I was thinking about if I would do something like that. In fact, I was thinking about that, that that when we engage in any spiritual practice, we're opening ourselves up to other spiritual practices. So I really recommend people finding 
their own path and practicing it um, in whatever small ways they can. And, you know, we have parents on the uh, Spiritual Life and Learning Center, I also want to say Burkhardt Center too, <laughs> team who, who can only maybe they have 10 minutes of actual free time <laughs> and using that for something like meditation it, I mean, it's a gift to the world and to their children and to themselves. Right. And when we begin to expand and open up to these various practices that are around, that's the brilliance of this place, as a matter of fact, is that um, we've had uh, Imam Faisal Abdul Rauf teaching us Sufi, Sufi practices, mm-hmm. Sufi, Sufi chants. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, Neil Douglas Klotz uh, t- training us in, in uh, spiritual dances back in the past. We've had... Jewish rabbis like um, like Rabbi Rami, uh, Amy Jolivine, who's a Jewish professor of New Testament, giving right. us kind of the great mystical tradition out of Judaism, out of the Kabbalah, Kabbalah and other places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much available for us to be able to be coming closer to the divine that that would be one piece that I would definitely say. Um, and uh, let's see, I've wrote down a note here that I wanted to say. I think this, this is – well, actually, I got two more quotes. Okay. That's why I brought these quotes. Um, one was from – we did a talk with Mark Nepo the other night. Mark Nepo, who is the poet, philosopher, had cancer and recovered, and that influenced his entire life, and he's mm. a wonderful speaker. He gave this uh, – a verse of his on giving, and I thought, oh, this is perfect for this discussion. <clears throat> and this is – the mystery is – that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. Mm. So when we give, we think, oh, I'm helping out. Really what we're doing is opening up ourselves to the need that we have hidden in their trouble, hidden in that expression. I mean, it's a beautiful that, statement that's beautiful. what we do Yeah, when we give. I was on a mission trip to South Africa one when it was an exploratory trip to see how uh, the church I was serving could partner with um, churches in, in uh, the community of East London, um, uh, which was right next door to the Buffalo Flats Township. And we wanted to do some ministry in the, in the township there. And the American missionaries we were working with, you know, got to know them pretty well after about seven or eight days and traveling around and, and interviewing different people and looking for possibilities of and we were partnering with the United Church of Southern Africa, which is sort of a cousin of the United Church of Christ. Mm. Uh, and I remember her just looking at us and say and saying, you know, the problem with and she's she was an American. She said the problem with us Americans is we come with our hands so full of gifts. We don't have any room to receive oh, the yeah. gifts that from the people we're meeting with. Yeah. And it was, that's, that was almost 20 years ago now. And it just sticks in my head as, you know, be careful. And I'm not coming so over, overwhelmed with stuff that I, I brought to, to share my, you know, with you or whatever, but to be ready to receive whatever mm-hmm. else comes. And that's, that's all I, what you did. That quote you just used reminds me of that. There's, it's really about partnering, partnering with not doing for. Yes. Oh, that's a big yeah, do that sermon. I, I might, might do that this Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That is, that's huge, actually. Right, right. Um, it really is. And what is the, what's the rabbinic story of the, the students come to the teacher and say, uh, why, does, why does the text say that you put the, and this is from Jeremiah, put the law on the heart and not in the heart. Mm-hmm. And the teacher says, it's because it's only when your heart breaks that the law, the, law the, can love, get in. the right. path can come in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
And then if we allow our hearts to break, maybe I would say this in a stewardship sermon, if, if, we, if we feel the vulnerability of seeing the other as suffering or hurting or needing and seeing ourselves that way too, because we all are, um, that openness, that breaking open of the heart will allow actually all the generosity that's kind of been kept locked in there to flow out from us. Mm. And it's so counterintuitive to the normal way we have of thinking about the world and the way we've been taught in our conditioned reality. Right. right. Uh, but that is the path to love. That is. Well, my, uh, my uh, guests always get the last word on Faith Kit. So what, what would you like to share as we close up here with, with all the folks listening? Yeah. Okay, how much time? <laughs> you say? All the time you got. You know, I'm, I'm retiring in a year. <laughs> that piece that I've been talking about forever, it seems like, is that Jesus wasn't born God, but Jesus developed a practice or learned a practice actually from John the Baptist. And I actually think Mary Magdalene might have been his mm -hmm. teacher as well as his companion. Mm -hmm. Probably not his wife, but maybe. Um, but definitely his teacher and they, they taught him a path or a practice to follow to experience the divine presence that was in him so that he could say God and I are one. He taught his disciples, they were students, they called him teacher, rabbi, mm -hmm. and he taught his students. In, in between that, when, the, when all the doctrines were created and it became a political thing of empire taking over the church in a certain sense, we lost the practice mm. and the path. But now we have resources for that practice, for that path, like centering prayer, contemplative prayer, and all those things I was mentioning earlier, all these different practices, journaling and dance and movement and body prayer, all kinds of things, psychological orientation. So psychotherapy can be a practice. Um, and when we engage in those, we're actually living out what we really need to be doing, which is following the path of Jesus, not necessarily believing in Jesus as God, but really following the path that he set before us, this path of compassion and love. Um, so that's really what I would want to say, is to go into that even more deeply and fully, right. that we find our practice and we follow it. And that, in that way, we're actually following what Jesus set before us. Well said, my friend. I'm glad you were uh, able to work this into your schedule and, and spend some time sharing with us. And, and uh, I'm glad you all have been listening. This is Faith Kit. I'm Glenn Miles. And I hope that you will uh, tune in next week as we talk with uh, the Reverend Jim Long, our next guest. Thanks, David. Thanks, Glenn. You bet. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you for being with us in this episode of Faith Kit. Join us next week for another enlightening conversation.